We're finding markets and tracking and trading on our phone, but we want to ignore the signs of the guys who are making the movements and shutting down Wall Street, which are your 16-year-old kids who are probably worth more than you are at this point. That's the reality of where we're at. Let's go back to being the cool guys that we once were or that we told ourselves we're going to be in our 40s and our 50s and our 30s and even our 60s and not be the person that we never wanted to be because society restricts us to doing all this stuff. You can still do all that stuff, but be you and be cool. And I think that's what makes that big difference. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by David Chen, entrepreneur and e-sports master. Now, David's story is nothing short of exceptional. From his family arriving in the U.S. with nothing to rapidly rising to partner in seven years at Deloitte at the age of 34, before going on to launch DTIF Capital and partnering with some of the major esports brands, technologies, and healthcare companies across the world. He's currently pioneering esports capstone class at Lambert College. He's even worked with Plantier Partners on their recent Super Bowl commercial. He sits on many boards as head of esports for Media Abundance and Fan Craze with some of the most amazing esports gaming organizations in the world and the American Collegiate League. David has brokered to bring deals with Wolverhampton Wanderers, the Premier League Club, to their esports gaming. In short, he's making waves in an amazing domain and he's here to tell us how to get started. So let's dive in and hear how it began. You know, when I came to the country, we were homeless. And 500 bucks for our name, mom, dad, and I, and we had to figure it out. Couldn't speak the language, couldn't assimilate, didn't know the culture. You know, my mom tells a story that we're going to Taco Bell and we don't speak anything and I'm so hungry. And then I'm pointing at the menu because we can't speak it because that's what we want to eat. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when you come to such a great country, but when you come to any other country, there's a lot of stress to assimilate because you want to be the outsider with the things that you can bring in, but you don't want to disrupt so much that it causes conflict and misunderstandings. And we, as the Asian culture, we're told to keep our mouth shut and do it the right way and don't cause trouble and get your A plus and your PhDs. And, you know, you're a lawyer, attorney, a doctor, or you're that one guy who's also an astronaut that made every Asian mom call you afterwards. We get it. That's what it was. But the turning point was, I remember being so poor that our cardboard box was the kitchen table and it was draped over it. Or it wasn't abnormal to me to drive around the ghettos and pick up the used beds and sleep on them. And that was a very normal thing. Like none of that was abnormal to us. It was a very normal part of life. But the turning point is you're sitting there one day in like second or third grade and everybody wants to trade for sandwiches, right? This is the basics of supply and demand, right? This is, this is how we all started as business guys. This is when we start bartering <laughs> for our cookies and, you know, peanut we, butter and jelly or how right, this is you you're a real trader, a real finance guy, right? How did you mop the floor up in second grade? Nobody wanted to trade with me because I had an egg sandwich because on a good day, it was an egg sandwich and it smelled for seven, eight hours. And a kid opens it up. I would eat these sandwiches. I stuff it in my mouth. And then I didn't know we were poor, but kids had Lunchables. They want to trade with the egg sandwich kid. When he told on me, when he basically made fun of me, I burst out of the room crying. And I just remember telling the person, we just don't have any money. I can't get anything better. And I can't believe I felt that way. That resonated in me. And it wasn't the angry part of it where like, oh, mom and dad should have gave me more. And oh, let me go show the world. It was, wow, man, these socioeconomic conditions are really different for a lot of us. And that was the first turning point. 
The second turning point is much later on my career. I mean, partner at Deloitte. I own the Lambo. I have the Porsche Turbo. I have the homes. I have everything that every executive has been fighting for because we're the men and we got to do it. And Barry, I was I was miserable, man. Miserable. I almost yeah. lost my fiance. My parents almost broke up. It was such a bad time in my life. And I just made partner at Deloitte. So everything that yeah. I was there, I was so lost internally. I didn't wake up. And I think a lot of people deal with this is how much of a shark can I be? Because that's what I have to be. But how can I be a humanitarian on the side? And we see it right now with everything that's going on. The humanitarian side always works better than the shark side because eventually the world, as you and I've realized, is so small that everyone really does kind of know everyone, at least in that higher upper level. And it's not just the, oh, just good intentions. It's how do I balance myself as a professional and say, I'm going to go after this without stepping on, on shoes. And did I step on your toe too much? Or am I going to be very aggressive? That's that balance. And I lost completely who I was at that age and it was so miserable, man. And to almost lose my family and my fiance, I was doing things that men probably shouldn't be doing, high-powered men and things like that. I couldn't even look my mother in the eye on a Saturday, man. I appreciate the candor straight off. What you're describing as well, the immigrant story and starting from nothing and then achieving so much and yet then feeling sort of empty or even more frustrated with the person you're becoming. That's a great way to recognize that in yourself and call it out in a way, and then take action. What were some of the moments that you started to realize, like the emptiness or the dissatisfaction? Or like, I often feel like I hear a lot of people talk almost like there's guilt associated with that. Why am I feeling bad when I have so much opportunity where I've been lucky, where I've had these breakthroughs, where I have all the things that people told me I wanted, but yet I'm not happy. That's a tough place for people to be in and entrepreneurs to be in and successful people like to be in, right? By many measures. And yet what you're talking about is personal fulfillment and personal success really in the long term. What helped you sort of recognize that and say, it's time to make a transition here? Who makes partner at Deloitte in seven years? Not many people. After being fired my first year, by the way, it's a very interesting question. Nobody teaches us how to be happy. In fact, no one even asks, are you happy? How do you obtain this happiness? How do you obtain our happiest moments? If we were given that ability to, I'm not talking about these awful situations that some people have to go through. It's probably when we were kids, when we had the vision and the creativity and how carefree we could be and all the safety and comfort of mom or dad or whoever's raising you and talking to someone at your level and not worrying. Like the worst thing they're going to do is they're going to tell the other person that, oh, you like them. Like that was the worst thing that could happen. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. (laughs) But as we moved up, the rules were the same, but the people got vicious. The rules were the same, but now we became the adults. We have to be the ones that the CEOs have to have it together. We have to be the people at home that have to have it together for our kids. And the only difference between us now and before is we actually will talk about it. And when I wasn't truly happy, what was the purpose of this? The purpose of making all this was to be happy. Well, how could I be happy if nobody's around me? And how can I be happy if the person I love despises me? And how can I be happy if everyone I was working for was was not receiving it? Or is this really my ego and I'm making a bunch of BS excuses because I just care more about myself? And that was the darkest journey I ever went through as a human being, but it was the best journey that I have to go through multiple times. There's no blue pill that's going to make everything good because if everyone can make it good, we all be happy, healthy, we all be rich and everyone will be happy. 
So we all know that doesn't exist. So how do we change our thought processes and doing things that actually matter? And I don't care what it is. If you are happy and you got to pay your bills, you can find a happy median. And, you know, I always tell the story. I have a cousin and I was opening two restaurants at the same time I was running Deloitte. I've always done two, three things. And I didn't go to her wedding. Well, guess what? The restaurants are closed. She's still my cousin. So every time I see her, it's the same thing. How much is too much? Why do you need a billion dollars? Why do you need a hundred million dollars? Why do you need $50 million and fly on a private jet when your siblings aren't anywhere they need to? If you want to use this anger and this chip, hey man, I have the biggest chip out of everybody. You can ask anyone. I grew up in conditions that you could not even believe. But the chip has to be for good because we're teaching a generation instantaneously on the phone, knowledge on how to act. And we're the adults. We're the ones that's supposed to be responsible for it. And we're doing everything we hated. Would the 20-year-old you be proud of you now? Would the 12-year-old you be proud of you now? The 12-year-old of me is like, you, you've done everything we want to do as a kid. I often reflect on those times all the time. And I think that's what maintains my youth. I'll be 42 this year. And I feel like I'm in my 20s and my 30s. And I'm helping kids out in esports, right? Like I'm literally giving kids scholarships. We're making lives change. I came from Deloitte and I could do this. And so I think finding that balance is so important for everybody. I love, again, just sharing all the thinking and experiences you've been through. And you talk a lot about this notion of reflection. I think it's really important for people is to ask yourself that question. Am I happy? I love this. What would the 12-year-old think of me? Well, they'd be like, wow, we've got all the exterior extrinsic things I wanted. Great, you know, Fun house, cars, whatever. But the 20-year-old starting to like ask them, well, maybe it's, are you really doing what you really want to do? And now to, as you say, as you're getting into your 40s, you're sitting here thinking, how can I help the next generation? Really, really, really interesting for everyone to like challenge themselves and ask those questions. I agree with you, right? The picture of like sitting by the beach, drinking uh, mojitos and then I'll be happy is a fallacy too as well, right? I think what you're really, I'm hearing is the real thing you're alluding to is like fulfillment in what you're doing, that you're actually making meaningful contributions. For some people, you know, take a holiday, go sit on that beach and drink a mojito. But what do you get the most out of? You know, for me, similarly to you, I did consulting for many years and it was great helping those companies, but I missed building. I missed actually getting my hands back into actually starting companies and building teams and the struggle that goes with that. It's not a fun activity all the time, building companies. Your inbox is full of problems, questions, things that aren't working perfectly and how you can respond to those tough moments. But it gives a huge meaning to what I'm doing because I feel like I'm building something. I'm creating something with great people. And that fulfills me as hard as it is. And now you're doing some really fascinating stuff, I think, in a domain that many consider probably new and limited understanding, but really curious to talk about. So you've been building lots of fantastic businesses and opportunities in the esports world. Tell us, our listeners, a little bit about what is esports, what's unique about it, and what actually sort of drove you into it. Esports is everything you want to do as a kid. All of us play video games, all of us play Mario Kart, all of us play Frogger, all of us play all the dreams of making this giant tournament and becoming the esports king so everyone knows you by playing video games. It is happening now. Gaming is the fastest industry. Before the pandemic, NewZoo had estimated gaming to be a $3 billion industry by 2023. 
And now it is a $200 billion industry by 2023. As I left Deloitte and I got into the venture capital world, I got into the crypto world and things like that. My first investment was into Faceclan. As you might know, Faceclan is currently made an announcement they're doing a billion dollar IPO. We had the foresight five years ago to understand KPIs and metrics and understanding this influential shift. What people need to understand is it's a story. It's the magical story of a kid who sits at his basement, who doesn't feel included, who's getting bullied for having green hair, and he can go online and talk to all his friends and talk about social economical problems. It's the new millionaire sitting in your basement who hasn't washed his clothes yet, and mom's still bringing laundry, but he can make it move. It's the guy who made GameStop and took down Wall Street because them as gamers understood the greater good of humanity was more important than the man. This is that next generation. We started that generation. We all gamed, we all did tournaments, we all had fun. The only thing that we haven't locked on our brain is the ego part, which is, well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to you because you couldn't do it during your time. Just like you watch the NBA for two hours, you're watching cooking shows 30 minutes, you're not physically doing the cooking, you're not physically gaming, come on. I mean, we're the guys that were part of the technology side, your kid is physically learning something. Well, what does that mean for brands? Well, if you're a brand who's trying to influence a demographic of 35 and under, a higher 60% male, 40% female, depending on what game it is, a new audience that's coming in, how do you get them to buy your brand? They're much more smarter than we used to be. It's not the good old days or the credit card days where they would go around on campus and give you a $50,000 credit card at 21, 22 years old because you get a free t-shirt. These guys are sophisticated. If you're fake, they know it. It's earning the community in a very organic, real matter, showing that you care because these are kids who often feel like people don't care. And for parents who are on their kids about gaming, look, I'm an excellent parent partner that teaches at SMU for esports and will be teaching at other universities. And I will tell you, I ask this one simple question to parents. I say, do you want your kids to go out, run around from nine to 3 a.m.? You know, I'm sitting at home playing video games. And no parent that I've ever said that to was like, huh, they never I choose video games. home. And not run around gangbanging. God knows what else is going on at nine to three. They're playing video games and they're talking to their friends. They don't realize that it's the NFT crypto metaverse space is the same group of demographic. The streetwear guys, the comic book guys, the gaming guys, it's all the same. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now you have to understand it because that's where companies like they did without the internet, where e-commerce was never going to happen. Look at Amazon now. Yeah, no, Credit cards were never going to happen. Look at Visa now. That's what we are currently in the esports market. It's a really great point. I always feel sometimes you can be too early or too late for these things. And definitely for parents, when they hear the word gaming, it can sometimes have a negative connotation to it. The stereotype is that people are just sitting at home doing nothing. They're just okay. sitting there. But yet what you're talking about is these immersive experiences where people are learning, they're collaborating. I actually personally believe that for me, gaming is one of these great places where people actually learn leadership. Kids playing World of Warcraft and being able to organize teams to collaborate on complex tasks to work together. And they have no idea whether the leader of that team is a 12-year-old or 65-year-old retired Wall Street executive. Whatever stereotypes, again, you want to paint on these people. It's all about collaboration, communication. And to your point, people can see the fakeness very quickly in terms of credentials by their behavior in the game. It's always been fascinating to me. So for folks who are hearing this for the first time, they're hearing like esports, they 
probably are maybe even hearing that like we're filling out stadiums of people who are going to sit and watch esports being played. Tens of thousands of people like sitting in stadiums watching gamers play games. Talk to them about how to get involved in the space. What are the the small steps where people are curious but don't know or feels unfamiliar? What are some of those tips you could give them to start experimenting and learning their way into this world? Because the future is going to be so connected to it, I think. You know, I'll bring up a couple of things. The first thing is go to your kids and develop that bond. Ask them what's going on. You know, that awkward moment that you didn't want to ask your kids what was going on. And when we were 13 and 14 and how awkward that moment was for all of us. <laughs> Right. You know what I'm talking about. It was awkward. Like no there, was, yeah. but everybody was an expert, right? Like everyone yeah. was an expert. This is your way of getting and bonding with them because this isn't the way dad and I taught when we were playing basketball or soccer. It's changed. So do you want to be a progressive parent and know what's going on or you don't? That's important. As a business person, why are big companies like Louis Vuitton spending $7.2 million a year on League of Legends championship for a four-year agreement? Because they have 75 million viewers. You as a corporate executive don't know the trends that's going on. That's a very scary thing if you don't know what's going on. And I encourage you to look at it because you have to understand the trends that come with it and what's going to happen there. Because in 20 years, your fan base, like I have that Marvel book up there. Me and you now, Barry, can go watch Avengers and it's not nerdy. 40 years ago, I wouldn't tell any girl I was talking to that I, I like comics, right? And if you're dying and bleeding because we made it normal. It's part of the culture. That's why the four, the top grossing movies are Spider-Man, Avengers, Avengers, and Avatar. That's what you're missing out. The next 40 years of client base. Number two, there's over 180 US universities giving out freaking scholarships. If your kid is not the smartest kid in the world that doesn't care about school, but he can go get a gaming thing and a varsity program, freaking do it. Why not? Give and go from there. But they're learning valuable things. They're learning coding. They have the leadership. They're learning real-time editing, video editing, everything they need to do for the current environment for branding and marketing and social media, which by the way, is your new resume. Nobody asked me for my resume where they go online and look at my resume. So social yeah, right media, is resume, which is a really big part of gaming. And the last part is, you know, our league and our company, we changed it a bit. We started as a league, the North American Collegiate League. We've turned it really into an esports entertainment group where we have a marketing group. We have our consulting arm now. We have product integration, brand integration. You know, we work with brands like NASCAR and things primarily what we have to Wanderers and three commas of Mark Cuban and, and Cisco Systems. Like we're with some big groups because we're taking the Exeloid partner who also now games, who's always gamed and putting those two worlds together to really make it work. And that's where that the true love for it has to come out. And the only way you got to dip it in is go back and play. Someone's like, I haven't played Mortal Kombat in 10 years. Hey, buddy, it's the same buttons. I didn't play Mortal Kombat for 10 years either. And then I started beating my nephews after they started talking. Garbage. I had to finish them. Let them know who the men were, right? You know what I'm talking about, Barry? And this fun that you and I are having, that nostalgia that you feel, this energy that's pumping through, like, man, I remember these good times. That's what I get to do every freaking day. Yeah, I know. It's great. And it's great callbacks to folks, yeah, to help them sort of recognize that there is residence here and ways to connect with future generations and trends, I think is a really great way of stitching all that together in your examples there. It's like super fascinating. I want to point out two things that for our viewers are listening. So as you mentioned, I'm in the faceline. This is the cover of Sports Illustrated. We have an esports team with LeBron James' son, Bronny, and Kyler Murray from the Arizona Cardinals on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We have Batman and Faceline in Batman in the comic world. Why are you guys not part of the trends? 
That is what I'm telling a lot of people. And that's just like, when have you ever seen the Lakers do that? What you're highlighting here for listeners to really understand is that what we're doing in many ways is creating these digital sort of manifestations really of a lot of things that were very tactical for many listeners probably growing up, right? The comic books, how they suddenly now come to life that you can actually be immersive in them, put on your headset. Suddenly, you instead of just flicking through pieces of paper and imagining, you can actually be in the environment and walk through the comic book story right? and, and participate, actually. And these are some of the things that I think are the real interesting parts for me. And I really want to talk to you about community building as well on this, too, because I, for me personally, I think we're in this amazing zone of explosion of entrepreneurship. It's cheaper, easier, lower barriers to entry to start building these products. You have this idea of community-led businesses. So when people tie into or tap into nerves of purpose that they align to, missions that they believe in, again, it might be gamers to people like a certain type of game. It might be a philosophy that is driven around NFTs and what a crypto chicks, one of the teams that we work with, is one of the founding members of that community and how they've managed to grow exponentially quickly because they care about a very specific niche of onboarding more women into crypto technologies. And then the access to actually capital now where these communities can self-fund themselves. You can purchase NFTs to fund the community, to create a capital to build the businesses on top of that, or you can trade in the games with one another, which I, I really want to hear you share some of your insights as well as the sort of in-game experience and commerce, as you've sort of alluded to. Brands want to be there. So you know, when I'm playing these immersive games that I walk by the Louis Vuitton store and try on the bag and I just know they're there versus when I'm in-game, I need to level up and I can trade something that you have in your wallet with mine. And it's so fascinating about how these games are starting to actually mirror reality, but commerce, branding, marketing, sales, all these skills as well, you're sort of alluding to that people are learning while they're in these environments. So share a little bit more from your own perspective about this notion of why community is so important in this world and how commerce is then starting to sprinkle itself into the whole virtual e-gaming world as well. Community is important in anything. You saw a brand like Red Bull start off with Gorilla street merchandising that we all never thought of. And then it has become a multi-billion dollar company. Community is people that believe in it. And what's a danger of this community are those CEOs that are out there who don't game, who don't know anything and don't care about the kids' mental health and what's going on. That to me is the biggest concern. You have to be able, in my opinion, to truly understand what they're going through and relive Little Barry at 12 and Little Barry at 15, because those were tough times in our lives and be very mm -hmm. compassionate about that. And that will help you with the trends and the branding understanding. I think that's important. Number two, you have to listen. We complain that the old people never listen to us. Now we're the old people never listening. We're becoming the bear. It's like, I don't know. I don't know who signed us up for this, but someone did, right? I don't think you agreed to it. I didn't agree to it, but that's what happened. But here's, here's a real honest, honest truth about that impact. The real ability to do this is if crypto and NFT are working together, we're working with a lot of brands. We're activating them. We're giving them utility use. We're doing tournaments that we're running through to activate what they're trying to do. Some really large companies, some of the biggest in the world, we're literally being their esports experts going from there because they realize the same thing. But here's the thing. The game camps suck. And here's what a lot of guys are doing wrong. They're making this metaverse and it sucks. The game sucks. Listen, it's no different than what, what your five-year-old child is doing on Roblox. I'm going to say that out loud in plug for everyone knows. If you want to see what, how to understand the metaverse, go play Roblox with your kid. 
go play Minecraft. That's literally what the metaverse is. It's not the digitalization that we need. It's not the feeling. It's not the all-encompassing. So certain big brands are saying, we're going to be taking care of all the metaverse. The metaverse has to be a fluid, yeah. a fluid motion amongst other countries, other metaverses. You don't just go to China. You don't just go to Korea. You don't just go to Taiwan. You, you literally go to the different places because you can travel these portals. Then there's shops that set up. It has to be fun. I don't care how much I play to earn. Gaming is about having fun. And if you take the cool part of the culture and everybody who's trying to do this does not understand that piece, and I am very proud, I am very confident we understand that piece, you're going to not get anything because you've alienated it. Nobody wants to spend $35 to buy a new skin and then it turns into NFT and it's been $3,500. Yeah, a couple of the clout guys want to, but then you've alienated your basic community. So if the game isn't fun and you haven't integrated in the way you're trying to do, do you really think that even me at my age, somebody who's 50, 60 years old, who hasn't, is not part of the scene, who's been putting games together 40 years, no disrespect, knows the current trends of gaming? Yeah. No way. Now, these are all great cues, actually, I think, for people to listen, to understand what's a community worth investing in and what's real, right? Like you mentioned this idea. I love this analogy of portals to other worlds or you try to create your own world. At the moment, there's so many companies, I think I must see like four or five announcements a week where one company is creating their own metaverse. And I'll go into Nike's metaverse and just look around at shoes. It feels like a very naive implementation of what the opportunity is rather than this example that you're describing where there is a thriving community, whether it's in Fortnite, uh, Minecraft, these worlds that have been created that a Nike should be in, that it's, it's a place that you can go on a voyage, just like in the real world. You know, I don't fly all the way to Portland just so I can go to the Nike store and stand there for like a day and a half and walk around, right? Like that's a, that's a pretty limiting experience in some respects, rather than go into a world where more things are happening, where multiple communities are interacting with one another. And I'm choosing my niches. I'm choosing the places I want to look at and go on to the next. I think that's a really important point because so much at the moment, I feel like is these individual entities trying to create their own worlds that aren't connected. Some and people might say like saying, Facebook. I can, well, I didn't want to say the Facebook, but you said it for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll say it out there. <laughs> look, let me, let me just be very honest here, dude. The internet works because you, you can go into all of them. What want. the hell is there between Web3? So yeah. the guy who just paid $50 million, not to tell you that, Barry and I will tell you that for free. That is, they don't get the culture. So that's already the big risk. What's the exclusivity of it? What is my utility use? You know, I've been in this space. If you look it up, we helped co-develop the very first crypto payout system with Ethereum and Consensus, worked with them on communitygaming.io. We did that at NACL two years ago, by the way. Not now when it's trend. We actually worked with the biggest groups. Because we understood which countries could take it and which and which colleges could take it and which games were going to work, which ones weren't going to work at a mass adoption rate. So when you talk about this portal of, of infinite universes, and I don't want to make everyone lose their minds, let me just put it very, very simply. If it's not cool, no one's going to do it. And it's that simple. It's that simple. We pay for experiences more than we do everything else. If we have a birthday party, the experience of that birthday the cake, the way it's set up, that photo, that moment will resonate the rest of our lives. You want to do metaverse, crypto, NFTs, gaming, it has to be cool. If you can't make it resonate and the same chills that Barry and I got when I talked about the 12-year-old Barry and the 15-year-old Barry, and every time I say it, he smiles and he's what I'm talking about, then it's not cool. And I'm not selling you to sell for 12-year-olds. I'm telling you that your brain has to be able to make those adjustments. And for the one-off metas, 
There is not one crypto brand, blockchain brand. I don't care if you're a Gemini. Look what Animoca's doing. They have a bunch of other companies that they own. It's a collaborative unit. You look at NATO in that sense, where it's a collaborative unit. Now, here's the difference. What a lot of people are doing wrong is they're paying influencers to buy, sell the NFTs. By the way, but what they don't realize is there's a whole group of young people out there tracking their every move off the decentralized blockchain. So they'll know that I got paid $50,000 to buy this NFT and I sold it off. And the rest of your life, you'll be on a list of punks who are about the community. Now, as that community grows and you are like, oh, we're just going to pay $50,000 for so-and-so and not growing organically. Now you have no life longness. And then if you're not honest with it, there's no real utility use. You got to deal with the SECs and all those violations. But let me do a step further. None of the big guys will want to work with you, right? The meta only works if it's a combination of everything, of all the different things. It's a cat world, a dog world, a superhero world. Hell, it could be, I want to dress like a banana world. There's people like that out there in this world. I mean, whatever it is, but it's a way to do it where you can feel independent and free which is something that none of us have. So if freedom is the indication, then you should have the freedom to do things amongst other universes within reality, right? Within things that you are allowed to do, right? Not bad things, but good things, right? Maybe I'm six foot five and I'm 280 pounds, but I wish I was six foot 10 and played in the NBA. My physical restrictions limited me, but in gaming, either suck or you don't suck. Who cares if you're six foot five, right? Who cares if I'm a male and I have more power than you do? You're better than me. You're better than me. It equals the battleground. And that's what metaverse is. It's the hopes and dreams for many. There's one point I really want to underline, which was in your comments there, is that your history travels with you. And I think this is sort of thing that's probably very different than maybe we've seen in, in the normal world. Because in the normal world, we're reliant on, you know, we make connections by who do you know? And have you worked with this person? And you know, what was that experience like? And that's the way we do our due diligence, the way we build trust. And yet in these worlds, there's an audit history of all the things that you have done. And there will be products that help make it very visible to one another about how trustworthy folks are. Or to your point, did people just sort of try to make a quick book on something, bought it for a, a low price, sold it for a high price, made it lots of money, but they actually, the authenticity and type of deal that they were doing was a little bit nefarious. Those yep. products are going to be there. Your history is going to travel with you in this world because it's possible, because that's the whole beauty of technology and auditability and persistence is that those things are going to exist. So I think it's a great reminder that it's still early, but these things, the way that we validate one another, the way that we build trust with one another will be as much about looking about the transactions and the trades you did in your in your wallets, as much about the communities that you're part of and the contributions you made. That may be the way people build trust, not knowing the individual, but observing their behavior. And that is going to be like really fascinating, I think, what this whole space is going to open up as it starts to mature. A hundred percent. So that holds a very valuable word, real accountability. And now the game has shifted. So now if you're some guy who is trying to integrate NFTs and cryptos and into your space, but you haven't actually done the stuff and done an ICO and faced the issues that come, whether it's an SEC or a DOJ, then you really don't know what you're doing. And I caution people on that because the whole purpose everyone knows about crypto and NFTs is the same thing that happened in 2017 when nobody knew what Bitcoin was, but everyone had to do 20,000 and nobody could even say what the word HODL meant. It didn't make any sense. Because five years ago, that was a uh, quote-unquote Ponzi scheme. 
And the same guys five years later are secretly buying 75 million Bitcoin that are saying this, right? The, the big companies. Why do you think that is? Because adoption to technology is inevitable. You're either a dinosaur or you're not. 70% of the Fortune 500 companies in 1980 no longer exist in Fortune 500 companies. You know what the big indicator was? E-commerce. They could have positioned themselves. Look at Netflix and Blockbuster. It's a tech thing. And we still want to argue about tech? We're finding markets and tracking and trading on our phone, but we want to ignore the signs of the guys who are making the movements and shutting down Wall Street, which are your 16-year-old kids who are the, probably worth more than you are at this point. That's the reality of where we're at. Let's go back to being the cool guys that we once were or that we told ourselves we we're going to be in our 40s and our 50s and our 30s and even our 60s and not be the person that we never wanted to be because society restricts us to doing all this stuff. You can still do all that stuff, but be you and be cool. And I think that's what makes that big difference. It's great advice and tips. So looking forward then for you, what are the things that you're most excited about, especially in the e-gaming world, e-sports? What's the areas that you would say, tell people to start digging into, learn a little bit more, maybe start getting their hands dirty? I think spending the time and educating yourself and going back to the games you loved as a kid will give you the comfort level that you need. And I did that first. I went back to 2K because I played it for many, many years. Went back to playing Mortal Kombat. Hell, I even went back shooting the dog that would laugh at me, but I'm still putting my gun on the screen because he's getting me upset, right? Like that nostalgia that's making you laugh. Now look around. Basketball cards, shoes, comics, all the things we loved as kids are now leaders and trends. So now relive that moment that made you truly happy. Now, as you're redoing that, then start communicating with your child and understanding the trends that exist or your niece or your nephew. Can you name another program that has kids staring at something for six to eight hours? And I'll tell you, it doesn't exist outside of esports. Kids will sit there and watch League of Legends for all those hours. They don't, the Zero Ball is two and a half hours. So if a brand is there for eight hours, you're making more money. It's just more frequency, right? I think number three, as you're doing that, understand the, the play to earn model, but understand it to where it has to make sense. It has to be cool. Cryptos, NFTs, I'm not a financial advisor. I, can't, I don't know what you should invest in, don't invest in. It doesn't matter what I think. But if there's no utility case and there's no product and the same rules apply, who's running the company? You don't know who it is. Well, that's a pretty big problem. And you want to throw $50,000 into there? What are they going to do down the road? Well, they've never done it before. They're going to create it. It's 2022. They haven't created it yet. That's a little bit of a problem. We're not talking about the metaverse. We're talking about things that matter. Do they have a KYC? Those are things that matter. And just be in touch with it. Nobody's too old. No one's out of touch. Nobody's not cool. Get rid of all that. And if you can't do any of that, it's the first thing that we talk about on the show. It's because your ego won't let you see past yourself. Right on. Just great advice, David. Ties it back nicely to like embracing your ego, embracing the beginner's mind, not being afraid to recognize when it's time to try in many ways and unlearn. Look, it's been amazing to have you on the show. I think there's so many nuggets you shared there and ways for people to get on to this journey and understand it and experience it and start small by rekindling their joy of their childhood and then bringing it forward into the future. I love it. It's a great message. And thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you, man. Anyone that wants to follow me, it's David Chen Panda on Twitter and Instagram, on Twitch, and it's David Chen on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Barry, thanks for an amazing show. Thanks for the impact that you're doing in the world. We appreciate you as much as well, my friend.